This is a shock podcast. To see Stroll's attitude after getting kicked out of Quali, the way that he threw his steering wheel out of the car, and then you shove your personal trainer, who's meant to be your confidant, your best friend on a race weekend. All racing drivers have their bad days, right? I'm sure you had then, I had some bad dark days in racing. We get frustrated. But there's ways to handle that frustration and anger. Having been around so many athletes my whole life, I do not care about how bad it gets for you. It is unacceptable, inexcusable, and it just shows a complete lack of emotional regulation and maturity that you need in order to be an F1. Hello and welcome to another episode of Suited and Booted, the Formula One podcast. Welcome to the post-Qatar Grand Prix episode. You have your usual host, me, Daniel Woodruff, and also with me in the studio we have... Jasmine Jafar. And we don't have Weyron Tan. He's currently in London doing big boy stuff with motorsports. But as a replacement, we have the ever-lovely... Yasmin. <laughs> so Yasmin is our producer. Uh, she's very shy and she's very scared. So let's all be very kind this episode. Thank um, you. I know that we also have our fan questions to to see what the layman wants to ask about each Grand Prix, and we have a layman here with us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was about to say, like, I probably have like a stupid question or two to ask. So um, yeah, it's a shame. We miss you, Ron. We miss you. Come back. Please come back. I don't want to do this again. Well, actually, no. If Yasmin kills this, then, <laughs> we, then you don't have to come back. <laughs> Okay, okay. All right. Well, Yasmin is going to do the honors usually offered to Ron. Please walk us through the top five results of the weekend. Okay. So for this weekend, we had a quali, a shootout, a sprint race, and obviously the main race. So I think the boys are going to explain in a little bit what all these are because honestly, I'm not too sure myself. For the shootout, it was Piastri, and then he was followed by Norris. Max, George, and Sainz. And then in the sprint race, it was Piastri winning it. Um, And then Max, Norris, Russell, and then Hamilton. And then in the final race, it was Max, Oscar, Norris, Russell, and Leclerc. Amazing. All right. Thank you very much. Well, this is the only the third time we've been to this track. I think, Jazz, we were chatting before the show. Los Isles Circuit, Qatar, really, I guess, was designed as a MotoGP track. That's right. Previous years, uh, MotoGP hosted a couple of races there. It's slightly narrower than normal, so you can see the um, exit curves and uh, runoffs are weren't actually designed solely for this quick and big F1 car. So they they extended some of the runoff areas, they extended the gravel traps, and you can see some of the corners are a lot wider than, than how it used to be, so that created some overtaking opportunities, which was plenty over the weekend. And yeah, uh, I think Formula 1 signed a, a 10-year deal to be there, so going to see a lot of Qatar the next few years. Yeah, a lot of track limit penalties or, or lap times being deleted as well. And just in terms of the, the actual design of the infrastructure of the circuit, I know there was a lot of conversation about the kind of wacky curbs that they had. I know there's so many different type of curbs you can have on a Formula One track. I think unless you're a driver or looking at close-up photos, maybe they all look the same. It's usually just like red and white painted curvy things around the outside. But, you know, you go to Monza uh, in Italy where you've got those big sausage curbs on the inside. So there's a lot of like ways that track designers will kind of change the design of a curb to stop you from gaining lap time. You don't want people to cut the curb at Monza through the chicane. So they put these big sausage bollards. So if you hit them, your car basically 
flies up. Uh, and that obviously has its safety risks as well. But here in Qatar, you've got these big pointy triangle pyramid looking things that are very sharp and dangerous to our already very fragile Pirelli tires. So what kind of challenges does that pose to the drivers and engineers? Going to these different tracks, then I think from, from modern circuits, there's um, no exact requirements of the shape of the curbs. Um, I think every race that we go through, we, we always have this occurrence of track limits. So you're right. It's actually to slow the cars down and having them not to run off too wide. There are also curbs that have a little astroturf strip. If there's a little bit of water on it, it slows the car down as well. But in Qatar, it was the first occurrence after a very long time that it actually started delaminating and puncturing the tyre. So if you do a long stint with heavy, heavy fuel, uh, the tyre is compressing on those pyramids of curbs that you mentioned earlier, Dan, and it's going to cause a lot of safety havocs. And Qatar itself has medium to high-speed circuits, third, fourth gear corners, and that's why they did an extra uh, session just to make sure that the tyres are safe enough for the drivers to race. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, and again, I, I think only drivers and people directly involved in motorsports really appreciate this. Uh, and I actually only first learned about it early on in my junior career, even the paint that they use on a track, I mean, you were talking about AstroTurf being wet and it being slippery. Different circuits use different paint around the edge of the track, that white line that you see. So if you go to an old circuit that maybe just uses normal paint, it's very slippery when it rains. And next time it rains, guys, and it's obviously like it stopped raining, but the, the ground is still wet, go outside with your shoes and just try and slide your trainers over the ground, over the tarmac, over the paint, and try and feel the difference. Uh, and it's amazing to feel what that's actually like. So some paint's very slippery, but you go to a track like Shanghai and they actually mix like bits of sand into the paint. So it becomes very rough and it actually has more grip than the tarmac. So it really shows you that beyond just perfecting the racing line, you really have to understand the track that you're working with. But yes, tires were a big issue and we can talk more about that later on. Now, it's a long race weekend uh, because there were a lot of events, not as many practice sessions as, we, as we're used to. There was only one official practice before we went straight into the shootout and the sprint race. Guys, I, I'm not too much of a fan of this. I know we, it's been a while since we last spoke about the sprint race format. Yasmin, now that we have you here, I guess from a, a non-racer's perspective, <laughs> Max was commenting, right, saying that mm. we shouldn't look at it from a driver's perspective or get the driver's perspective as to whether or not the sprint race format should work, right? You need to look at it from a business perspective, um, whether it's feasible, whether it brings more market value. So I think Jazz and I are a little bit biased, but from your perspective, does this whole sprint race format weekend make sense? Has it even, we know you're an F1 fan and we're more than halfway through the season. Has it even registered in your mind yet as to how it fully works and what its purpose is? No, short answer. Th uh, there we go. <laughs> no, honestly, I remember when they, when did they introduce the sprint race? Huh? Three mm, years ago? Three years ago. Yeah, roughly. Right after Fairly the pandemic, recently. Right? Yeah. I think the first question that popped out in my head was, why? When you were talking about what, from a business perspective, what what market value is it bringing? I, I guess back back in the day, like I remember when Sepang in Malaysia had F1, Saturday could still be a bit of a dead day, right? A lot of people go, oh, it's just qualifying. I can watch it from home. The action happens on Sunday. So right. maybe from their point of view, it's like racing on Saturday and Sunday. But I guess a lot of us still think of it as like a fake race. I, I know that yeah. there's still points 
for it. But I don't know, it's like you win the race, but you didn't really, right? Because you have to do it tomorrow. But anyhow, to fight for breaking records and trying to prove yourself how good you are, for example, Piastri having his first win in Qatar, it's also a stepping stone for the drivers to actually prove themselves that you can do it in the race. But the format itself is a bit mm, not proven yet, as though it's whether the mandate from the Grand Prix organisers to do it at all the Grand Prix, maybe not yet, mm. but um, I think it's it's a start of a new format for, for Formula 1. Okay, so one thought about that that I had was, okay, so you were saying, right, it might be a format that might be extended to like all the races. How many of the Grand Prix have sprint races? Six, Six yeah. Roughly. Right. Yeah. You know, having so many things happening during this weekend, I kind of wish that they just had a quality so that, you know, when Sunday came around, around it wouldn't be so bad and yeah, horrible yeah, for, yeah. for the drivers. And I think that the F- I mean, we'll definitely talk about what the FIA has released in terms of a statement post-Grand Prix about the, the physical side. And I think there's a mm. lot to unpack there, particularly from you, Jazz, because mm. you have driven an F1 car. But yeah, I don't know. For me, it kind of dilutes the weekend. You make a good point, Jazz, about it giving more opportunities for drivers to experience race conditions like for Piastri. But to be honest, at that level of Formula 1, you don't need more experience. You're already at the pinnacle. And in the particular use case of Piastri winning, that's fine because he's he's up and coming. But let's flip it on the other end of the spectrum with someone that has won a lot. Verstappen, who finished, what, P2 in the sprint race? Mm-hmm. And then he won his world championship in the sprint race. I mean, like, okay, it's great you're winning the world championship, but to win it in a sprint race? Like, you're kind of just like, I wish I won it tomorrow because yeah. it's like the end of the weekend. Everything culminates into this win. We get to celebrate. But this is like, okay, I, I didn't even win this race. It's not even a proper race. And I still have to race again tomorrow, but I'm champion. I agree with you, Dan. Actually, looking at numbers, right, true social media and viewership numbers has dropped this year compared to the controversial Abu Dhabi race uh, with Lewis and Max. And even last year, there was, you know, the, the new regulations was introduced. It actually has dropped by 20 to 30% because they can predict the winner. Maybe the format is not attracting new viewerships enough. And the research recently, and I, and I met up with Robert Reed from the FIA over the weekend when we had the Asia-Pacific Motorsport Championship. And he himself said that the new viewerships is actually not by Drive to Survive. is actually having to share what they know from Formula 1 from parents. If the parents watch them, then they share the... The, the experiences of watching Formula 1 and it trickles down. It's not uh, solely from Drive to Survive. I reckon this is going to be a pretty... I guess, no, I have to think back about the whole rest of the season. I was going to say maybe this is going to be a pretty boring season of Drive to Survive. But again, I think with average fans that I do speak to, I guess the kind of common sentiment is that, oh, I know Max is going to win it, so maybe I don't have to watch this kind of race weekend. So I think there's a lot that has to go into making the Grand Prix better. I know that's always the number one conversation they have in terms of... How how much easier it is to overtake in these cars, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to get in trouble saying this, but as boring as Max has made it this season, you can't discredit him. The guy's a legend, right? For being able to make it this boring, you have to be something else. So, okay, before we get into the sprint race, this is another race that we have in the Middle East uh, with very unique conditions. And if you guys watched the race or any of the highlights or onboards, 
I mean, the number one thing is the sand, right? We can talk about the heat and the humidity later on, but how much does sand actually impact your driving? Wow, Dan. Like, there was um, a few onboards from George Russell when you ran a bit wide, and even I saw some of the Alfa Romeos. The moment you, you leave half a meter or half an inch out of your racing line, you can see a stream of sand from the rear tyres. Mm. The tyres are so big nowadays. And that really impacts your driving because even in qualifying and the shootout, drivers were still spinning on the new sets of tyres. You need to remove the top uh, layer of carcass before you can get the grip, right? Whereby in the race, it looked as though it's just dry, hot air. There's no ventilation and it's just maybe perhaps global warming as we mentioned earlier because the race is already at night and we're in October and nothing seems to get any air into the drivers. Normally, a track like Singapore would be something that the drivers would struggle more because you're in the city and there's no air running through the skyscrapers but yeah it's out of the ordinary that Qatar has has been the most toughest race so far if you go slightly off the racing line I mean you you saw Alonso struggling with oversteer right and when his car snapped out a little bit and he got onto the sand I mean the guy completely went off the track lost control was drifting really really unique conditions I was going to save this point for later on in the show but we might as well talk about it now it's been brought up so much I mean so sand affecting the drivers affecting the drivability affecting the car because the sand obviously gets into the air intake it goes into the cooling systems etc it affects your tire degradation and the kind of contact patch that you have with the ground but let's talk about the heat issue i mean yasmin you were saying you kind of felt bad for the drivers because they had to to do so many races and laps like mandatory laps in what was really hot and humid and you usually think of the desert as being cold at night right well especially because it's it's october already it's not like it's in august or july so. yeah when, when you have time i think you guys need to go into youtube and just watch the onboard cameras of when the drivers are actually in yeah, the pit lane and just getting out of their car it was reminiscent of the senna era you know when senna yeah. was like driving in sixth gear around monaco for like the last couple of laps and his body was just beyond exhausted he couldn't get out of the car he couldn't raise his trophy this was like that except every single driver was going through it i mean albon i watched the video he was coming through the halo and he gets stuck and he just has to pause his mechanics have to come and hold his helmet stroll gets out after a while and he goes straight into the medical van which is right next to where his car was parked in the park for me you saw in the driver's room where we usually hear them talking about stuff before the podium ceremony Two of them, I think Verstappen included, they were lying flat on the floor. floor. You know, I think Norris was there on the chair, but Piastri and and Verstappen were on the floor. It's crazy. And the FIA has released a statement basically saying they acknowledge that it was too hot, but now they are actively working on developing a set of parameters that would dictate an unsafe race for the drivers. Mm. Um, They did say that next year, the race is going to be later on in the year. But, you know, we we were talking about this like, is it really going to change that much? And you were mentioning global warming. Uh, I know some people can be skeptics, but it is getting harder and harder to predict the weather. So yeah. it might even be hotter. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Dan, I think just to get the the, the listeners um, more insights of, of the driver's point of view, I think a lot of people intend to see these drivers are just racing around in circles, right? Any track. It's just Heard so, that one before. Yeah, <laughs> so happen is in Qatar or in, it's in Brazil or it's in Monaco. They're just driving around in circles. 
But no, these cars nowadays produce so much downforce and it has over a thousand horsepower and you're trying to hustle this car throughout a Grand Prix and the Grand Prix goes to over 60 overlaps. And in Qatar, especially this weekend, you have a three-stop mandatory race under conditions that was over 50 degrees of Celsius. So these drivers, these athletes are super, super fit. They're an all-round athlete. They trained uh, non-stop six days a week. You know, I, I know even Carlos Sainz was my former teammate. He was already preparing at the time for his debut Grand Prix and he was training non-stop to get his body prepared for Formula 1. It's tough because there's a lot of things and factors as a driver to even run through that Grand Prix. you got to know your uh, strategy. you got to know the buttons on the steering wheel. you got to uh, manage your tyres. You are, you are racing and challenging against the rest and you have a lap time to achieve and, and manage the, the hybrid battery and so on and so forth. There's over 40 different features on that Formula 1 car. So it is tough and challenging and this is the first time uh, guys, after a very long time, that drivers really put up their hands and say, wow, I could have passed out in that race. On Esty Vesti threw up in his helmet multiple times, apparently. Yeah, I and he, he didn't say it until the end of the race. I mean, kudos for him for yeah, pushing dude. through. But yeah. we saw what happened the last time someone threw up. I think that was Mark Webber in Fuji in the rain. Yeah. Yep. On <laughs> the safety car. Yeah. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, definitely. Min, have you seen that? Yeah. Uh, no. Okay, you need to go. If you guys haven't seen it, go into YouTube, type in Mark Weber food poisoning. And he's literally, this is back in his Red Bull days, driving around in the rain under the safety car. And he gets on the radio and he goes, Guys, I have to stop. Oh, that's yeah. nasty. Yeah. The, okay, Awful. sorry, question. Then what do you... They, they pitted him. He he, he he had to stop the race. Yeah, okay, was, but yeah. Ocon didn't. Yeah, Ocon... So maybe he just had baby vomit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he just threw up, threw up in his mouth. Yeah, then. exactly. I mean, my he probably just had like a little pool a gag in his seat. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I have a serious question. I actually have a serious question. Okay, I know that this is only... Okay, to our listeners, this is basically only the second Grand Prix that's happened in Qatar. The first being in 2021, right? Yeah. But surely this huge... He, wasn't it a major concern when the idea of Qatar first popped up? And also, like, could they not have made a call, I don't know, on the Saturday or even the Friday to, like, stop the race? So I, I can't remember how hot it was the last race. So that, I think that that's a very fair concern, right? We can take a look at what the temperatures were last time. But I think the interesting thing is no driver wants to be the first to pull out, to admit that they aren't fit enough to go through conditions that they are told to go through. I think at the very end, when everybody real, when when you saw all the drivers on the verge of passing out, then the conversation could happen. If it was 19 drivers completely fine and one driver was about to pass out, then the conversation would probably be, okay, he's just not fit enough. He's not cut out for it. I thought about this as well, I mean, um, when I was watching the highlights and some of the reports after the race. They have this uh, GPDA association, the Grand Prix Drivers Association, and it was led by Alexander Wirtz for a very long time. I don't know how active that association is mm. to the FIA, but you are right. If there is a pool of drivers that put raise their hands and say, "Guys, this is a sixty odd lap race. We're gonna, we're it's gonna, gonna start, be and we've whack. got a sprint race on yeah. Saturday, and we've got a Q one, Q two, Q three, and we've got a race run on Friday, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. You're doing over three hundred laps over the weekend, right? Yeah, it's never happened before. No one's willing to put their hands. I know drivers at the time even putting a a cushion on to help your neck was already a sign of weakness and you're in Formula 1, right? You don't want to show any sign of weakness. So this will be a new talking point and a new regulation to actually help the drivers because 
you're doing 23 Grand Prix, you're dealing with jet lag, you know, you're dealing with a lot of things outside of the circuit that would can impact the race during that weekend. Yeah, I mean, just being out of the car must be really hard, right? You're doing interviews day in, day out. If you're a Red Bull driver, you're doing silly activations. You're probably driving an ATV in the desert and then racing against Yuki Tsunoda in a buggy playing football or something. You know, they yeah. do all this crazy stuff and then you're expected to race and you're expected to smile in, you know, all 500 interviews that you do. It's just so, so demanding. So I, I'm glad that they are looking at setting those parameters, but... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do for next race because if it's the same scenario, would they realistically cancel? And when do they decide to cancel? You know, is it before they get there? Do they do one practice session and they go, okay, guys, it's really, really hot. Goodbye. Or do you wait for just before the race is about to start? All the fans are in the grandstand and then you go, sorry, guys, it's uh, it's a bit hot, man. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But then like when you hear about those drivers, you know, there are drivers who are nearly passing out, having blurry vision, throwing up in their helmets. It's like, like what if someone actually did pass out? There would be a, a big crash. Yeah. It shows you how dedicated they are and putting their health second. I mean, health has been second. Remember the, the porpoising, yeah. the bumping up yeah. and down? I mean, our F1 drivers are like NFL football players, you know, getting concussions. And yeah. I'm sure there are lasting effects from that. Mm. ringing in the ears uh, that's why you've got a uh, Hamilton crashing into turn one but we can talk about <laughs> that later <laughs> we're gonna get into that we're gonna get into that um, sprint race okay let's go straight into the sprint race so Piastri Verstappen Norris top three Verstappen at the start I mean he got swallowed up did you guys see the onboards yeah Just, what what happened there usually he's uh, he's bang on the money seems like he didn't want to take any risk it's, I don't know it's, a, it's very unlike Verstappen maybe he thought the championship was already in his favour uh, and, and it is and it yeah. was yeah. so I think I think he was happy to to just settle in and be in race pace and win on Sunday you know yeah but, fair uh, enough I mean he he is he is getting a bit more wise I guess that hot headedness is slowly going away honestly I keep forgetting how long he's been in F1 for I, I keep seeing F1 posts in my feed and it's like Verstappen in 2015 and you're like has he been in F1 for 8 years yeah like the guy is still in his 20s he was playing on god mode on easy mode and just eventually made his way back up to the front didn't win piastri showing his colors once again what what an incredible job i mean we we have to hype this guy up uh love his mother on twitter as well by the way such a such a sweet sweet woman but um yeah piastri he's just he's so mature dan like it's as though he's done this for years i mean obviously he's won in his junior categories but don't forget like I said this in our previous episode McLaren just turned their season around we did mention that if they don't get their, their act right by summer break you know um, it'll, be, it'll be very very difficult for them to, to salvage those points for the rest of the year there's no number one in that team it's always trying to extract as much performance as they can and Oscar's playing a really good role in being a team player to support Lando, gather info from Lando and have the experience to to be a race winner. Now he's a race winner and Lando's not, right? And it's it's interesting because we've, we've spoken about number one and number two drivers before and the dynamic. And I feel like with a lot of drivers on the grid, you can very clearly see who's the alpha dog of the team, right? And you know that if you have two very obvious alphas, that's where you get the Rosberg-Hamilton incidents. It's where you get the Alonso-Hamilton incidents that you've seen in the past. But, I mean, obviously, I don't know them personally, but with Piastri and Norris, 
there doesn't really seem to be an alpha personality. They just seem like two chill young dudes just wanting to to win. Mm-hmm. It's cool, right? It's actually yeah. really cool. Because when you see certain top-level drivers or whatever, you say, oh, you know, I'm I'm quicker than my teammate, or there's always a statement or remark, and the other one gets beaten down. Um, but when you see two drivers on the podium or one leading the other, they're like, yeah, you know, um, could have done better, and they just want to bounce back and, and be in front. And Zach Brown, kudos to him. He's managed this whole turnaround very well. And don't forget, it's also Andrea Stella's first year as team principal. So mm-hmm. they've got a good group of, of people in that team. It does beg the question of how long it will last, though. If they're consistently going neck and neck and trading places at the at the front, it's only natural that one person will want that star driver treatment over the other. And then that's when your politics and kind of emotions are going to come to fruition. But I think for now, McLaren is pretty safe. And I feel like Zach Brown's got, uh, got it all under control. Uh, yeah, massive kudos to him. Now, teammates that may not have it under control and are definitely under a lot of pressure. Let's talk about Russell and Hamilton. I know that's from the main race, not the sprint race. But I mean, are you starting to see a kind of top dog mentality coming out of Russell now, trying to pip ahead of Hamilton and kind of dethrone him within the team? Or do you still think Hamilton is the golden boy of Mercedes? It's a tough one, huh? Min, what what does your gut say? I don't really see that. Because if you're talking about that, right, obviously you think about when Rosberg and Hamilton were teammates, right, in Mercedes. Mm. And Russell and Hamilton don't, I don't know, they don't look like that. Yeah. And Hamilton did go up to Russell after the race and apologize. apologize. Even though Hamilton, in a true Hamilton fashion, as soon as he crashed out, first thing he does on the radio within half a second, my teammate just crashed into me, <laughs> right? It's it's that champion mentality of it's everybody else's fault except mine. <laughs> I'm perfect. I'm the best. Now, okay, I was going to say I'm not bashing Hamilton. I clearly am. But this is a mentality that all F1 drivers, I think, have, right? You have to feel like you truly are the best in order to truly make it into Formula 1. Now, watching the replays, the onboard, can we all unanimously agree that it was indeed Hamilton's fault? Mm-hmm. It was indeed. Yeah? It yep. was indeed. Okay. Then. Just not enough room around the outside. Uh, if he went any wider, for sure, I think he would have gone off because it would just would have been sandy, as you were talking about. But just he was just treating Russell like he was invisible. Maybe he was expecting Russell to break a little bit harder. Someone uploaded a very interesting tweet on Twitter, or X, and it was of a screenshot of Hamilton going around the outside of Russell and saying that it, it was Hamilton's fault, which he admitted to. And then it was the same screenshot of Verstappen going round the outside of Hamilton into turn one at Silverstone. And he was basically trying to cause a fight online to see whether or not people were just blaming Hamilton at every possible juncture. Because if you blamed Hamilton in one scenario, then he might have actually been innocent in the other scenario. So That's very true. Food for thought. I don't know. If y'all want to get involved in that Twitter war, we will see you in the, in, the, in the threads. But if Hamilton did make the move and he had a better start, he had more grip and he did make it around the outside. I mean, that would have been P1 for Mercedes in the first bit of the race. I, I I don't think they would have kept it for the the rest of the the race duration, but it definitely would have changed the outcome of the podium. Yeah, it's true, actually. If he made it through to that turn one, I would be curious to know and see what's Mercedes' true pace, actually, then. Yeah. But three cars are wide, and the way I, I saw the onboard, and he, he cuts back in uh, at the breaking point in turn one with full fuel on board. You know, if you've got a long race ahead, I don't know why he took that risk to actually did that cut around his teammate. don't think it's worth it, to be honest, and I have a feeling that the Mercedes' race pace is actually pretty good. Well, we'll, we'll never know, because 
because of a of a silly mistake. And Hamilton's obviously taking full blame for that. We've got a few more races to see what that pace uh, is actually like. But yes, as we've seen with McLaren, they're getting better. Mercedes obviously having their moments to shine as well. Not very helpful for the points, uh, having two cars out this late in the season. We also had another crash in the sprint race between Perez, Ocon, and Hulkenberg. And I'm glad to report for our producer that this time it wasn't Perez's fault that he crashed out. Of I, I would it say wasn't. it was a legitimate of racing it incident. Wasn't. <laughs> I mean, Perez legitimately round the outside, had the pace, but Hulkenberg and Ocon causing a, a bit of a sandwich. But it was no one's fault, right? Yeah, well, it is a racing incident, but this is the first time, Dan, actually, I heard a civil answer from you about Perez. <laughs> <laughs> about Perez. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm still going to bash him the rest of the episode. <laughs> I think for the last six Grand Prix, I was like... Poor guy, Perez. So I was actually looking forward to hear what you're going to see this this episode run after Qatar. You know, it's, it's great. Every time you guys write in <laughs> questions, there's always a little like disclaimer and caveat about us bashing, well, me bashing Perez. So I'm just going to be consistent, guys. Um, <laughs> hey, but guys, don't forget. Yeah, I mean, Perez is still second in championship, um, 224 points. And the next driver behind him is Lewis Hamilton at 194 points. So as much as his chance are happening, he's still scoring points. So... Let's put it as a racing incident, and it was a racing incident. I mean, not to throw my man under the bus, but he only scored five points in the last three races. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) One point a race. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, again, it begs the question, even though you are fulfilling second, he's doing it in a chance kind of way, right? It is luck. With both the Mercedes drivers out, that was a huge bulk of points that also got handed back to the grid, right, that Perez wouldn't have had. He would have been two places down from where he finished in the race if Mercedes didn't take each other out, right? So, and again, that would have brought that delta down to Hamilton in the championships. I, I think it's embarrassing. And that is my Perez back. <laughs> is that it? No, 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 no. To go, to go, to go. For now, for now. I'm sure I've got something else in my notes later on. <laughs> no, I think, I think um, Red Bull's got to give an ultimatum, right? Uh, we've seen some comments by obviously Helmut Marko and Horner being very civil with his answer but it's very unlike Red Bull to keep a driver that's keep you know doing mistakes and 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 he kept on saying that look you know we got good drivers over the B team at AlphaTauri so Danny Rick is also in the cards of uh, once his return uh, after his injury so there's always this spark of rumours and pressing upon that but I think they need to really stick through an ultimatum for Perez. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think as much as I enjoy the Perez bashing, I I think he needs to be given a clear black and white answer uh, instead of these kind of emotional games that are just clearly destroying my guy's mental health. But speaking of other rookie errors, (laughs) um, let's talk about Hulkenberg starting from the wrong pit box in the race. I mean... (laughs) My guy's been around for what, like... 100 years? 80 years? <laughs> and still, I mean, that is something you do in like F3. Even if you, I'm sorry, if you do that in F3, you deserve a slap. I mean, then if Piastri did it or Sergeant did it on the rookie year, okay, maybe it's not familiar with summer tracks. Uh, maybe their seating position is a bit lower than normal. Okay, it's hard to see the grip ball, etc. 
But Hulkenberg is his six foot whatever, been in F1 for 20 years or, you know, driven with majority of most teams on the grid. That is pretty embarrassing. I, I'm sorry, even if you are a rookie in F1, you're not a rookie in motorsports. These guys have been driving since they were like fresh out of the womb and you're saying they suddenly forget at the pinnacle of their career the easiest part of a race weekend, which is literally parking your car on the starting grid. Anyway, that's just, <laughs> we'll, we'll save the Hulkenberg bashing. Maybe they bashing. were confused. It was hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was really hot. That's hot. <laughs> we need to cue a Paris Hilton little audio buzzer. Joe, though, okay, we, we, we barely speak about this guy and every time, every time his name comes say, up. I feel like the last time we talked about him was literally specifically because I said, guys, we don't talk about Joe enough. We need to well, I'm going to hit the quota for the rest of the season now. <laughs> So this will be the, the, the last time we, we mention Joe for the rest of the season. Oh. Overtook 10 drivers in the race. Well, not overtook. Like, I mean, he, he gained 10 places. Not bad. Not huh? bad at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, is, that, a good is that all yeah? you have to give? Not bad. Okay, He dresses well. He's a Prada. <laughs> fashionable guy. Uh, anything else we want to add? No. No. Yeah. No, uh, our, our producer's not good. a fan. He's got his contract renewed for next year. Good for him. Yeah. You know, there was talks about Theo Pusher and all these other young drivers, but um, he's on to his third year. So... <laughs> Is, is that all we're really well going to <laughs> Well done, Joe. <laughs> um, Moving on. <laughs> I wonder if Weyron was here, what would he say, you know? Yeah, we, we have to manifest our, our inner Weyron. What, what, um, he'd just yeah. say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next, I want to talk about some other things that happened, I guess, outside of the race. Something that actually made m- my blood boil. Like, I was genuinely very emotionally affected by this. Wow, I sound really emotional. But, but from someone that's, like, actively involved in a racing team, in coaching drivers, with a passion for, you know, one day managing drivers as well. To see Stroll's attitude after getting kicked out of, of Quali, the way that he threw his steering wheel out of the car which is the most one of the most expensive bits on the car by the way i mean it's like fifty thousand euros and then you shove your personal trainer who's meant to be your confidant your best friend on a race weekend it's just unacceptable unacceptable all racing drivers have their bad days right i'm sure you had then i had some really bad dark days in racing we get frustrated but there's ways to handle that frustration and anger you've got cameras all over you you've got you're driving for a big team right a manufacturer and there was two things he needed to do. Number one, he needed to just sit down, consolidate with the engineer and pinpoint the issue, which he didn't. He chucked his steering wheel away and um, he just wanted to leave. Second thing, he needed to go to the FIA uh, weighing scale where they needed to record your weight after each session or after an official session like qualifying which his trainer wanted him to go so that they don't get a fine from it. But pushing your trainer, ignoring your team, chucking a, a, a very expensive piece of kit from the racing car, that, that doesn't show a true Formula 1 driver. You don't portray the right image for Formula 1 and a team like Aston Martin. Only the son of a billionaire could throw a 50,000 euro steering wheel and have no remorse about it i think even the most upset drivers on their worst days would hesitate at throwing the steering wheel. it is like it is the holy grail of your car right you always put your steering wheel back when you get out of the car otherwise you get fined you crash your car what do you think of as a driving uh, as, a, as a race car driver before you walk away behind the the pit wall you put your steering wheel back 
right? And this guy is chucking it. Yeah, I, 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 I frankly don't care. Having been around so many athletes my whole life, I do not care about how bad it gets for you. It is unacceptable, inexcusable, and it just shows a complete lack of emotional regulation and maturity that you need in order to be an F1. And again, I think this is just another reason why I think he should lose his seat. Now, word on the grapevine, I was watching a couple of videos about Stroll after the the weekend i was fueling my little emotional <laughs> kind of uh surfing session um and there was one report of course it is a, a rumor but that lawrence is potentially looking at selling the team as a businessman he's done an incredible job at flipping the aston martin brand taking force india out of administration and and, and putting them into a front-running team that has already won podiums in such a short amount of time so i think he has he will turn a profit if he does decide to sell 100 percent. i think there was a talked about valuation of about 800 million for the f1 team i think they've got a solid um concord agreement the team has got good sponsorship from uh aramco and uh cognizant and, and and the rest of it they've got a double world champion in there they've got a good uh, new facility and and you're right dan i think flipping the uh, the coin and and actually making money out of it including his public listed share of Aston Martin Lagonda so uh, the the holding company has sold shares to Geely recently on a technology transfer um, uh, deal and that is for future models moving ahead so he's got good partners now and if he even if he walks out entirely out of it i think he he'll walk out a happy man so Lance to get into fashion, just like his dad. <laughs> what's, what's his uh, What's his retirement plan? Maybe buy more boats. <laughs> yeah, but... good life. Okay, uh, some records this weekend. McLaren are now the second team to reach 500 podiums after Ferrari. So congratulations to them. McLaren also have now set the fastest ever pit stop in history at 1.80 seconds. Second fastest is Red Bull at 1.82, which is just unreal. Hats off to those boys. Danny Rick is going to be making a comeback very, very soon. How do we all feel about that? Um, mm. his, his recovery is taking longer than I thought. It was a bad, bad break, right? Yeah. Fair enough. It's a complicated part of the hand. It's I mean, true. of the body. But I don't know. I Even looking at Liam, I thought it was just a two Grand Prix thing and off mm. he goes, right? What, but, do you think uh, it's fishy? No, no, no. Not fishy. Just, I don't know. As in like they're trying to keep Liam in the seat for a little bit longer to no, evaluate No, not him. really. It's just... Jasmine's like, what's up with my guy's immune system? Like, why don't <laughs> you just heal faster? Yeah, like, taking, what's the tea? Yeah, <laughs> it's just taking ages. Like, anyway. Yeah. But, but but yeah, Danny Danny Rick's re, um, returning. He's, he's got a lot of work to, to do, you know. We don't know his fitness, whether he's actually strong mm. I, we don't know whether the wrist is actually strong enough to last a Grand Prix yeah, he's, he's been working out but yeah, yeah it's the wrist right you know and there's no testing in between the cars are all being effort. I mean you can test a, an all spec Formula 1 car but it's not the same and the next race is actually in America which is Kota which he loves it's got good results there and a lot of long winding corners over there so mm. um, I'll be interested to see I'll be interested to see if, if his fitness is back uh, on, on par to that level more importantly, I mean, Lawson has set the bar so high, right? For a guy to come in with limited testing and to have the results that he has, he's really, Lawson's really cemented himself in the Red Bull family. And that was just another unnecessary pressure for Ricardo, right? So, I mean, yeah, the pressure will be on, even though he secured his seat for next season. Now, we've got a couple of fan questions, and I do want to raise this, this little controversial fan prediction for what's going to happen. I know we, we know what the contract signings are for the next year, but here's a fan prediction from 
James Russell, who's the team owner of Stratos Motorsports, he guesses that Stroll will be out, Drugovic will be in, the F2 driver, Perez will be out, Ricardo will be promoted to Red Bull, and Lawson will go back home to AlphaTauri. Sounds a bit extreme to me. No? Or Min 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 is 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 <laughs> I don't know, you, you don't you don't seem convinced. I just I just I just don't see Danny Rick getting back into the Red Bull seat. Yeah. Why? I really don't it's think not that Red Bull is straightforward and You and can't also, be worse than Perez. No, but I don't think Red Bull would take that chance. No, but we have to also be mindful of the, the amount of mileage on current drivers and, and and Danny Rick, right? How much driving has he done the last year, for example, since his last McLaren drive? Um whether he knows the current Spec Red Bull car will suit him or not. We don't know that, right? But to get a driver to just jump in and do the job and be a number two, I mean, let's be honest, right? If you're jumping into that Red Bull seat, it's it's a number two seat. No doubt about that. So yeah, it's a bit extreme, I think. I think Liam has also accepted that he's he's a third driver over at AlphaTauri. So um yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting uh, prediction. We never know about the silly season, right? And we still got five, six races to go. Anyone can break their wrist and <laughs> and anyone could fill them in. Well, and beyond silly season, we know what Red Bull's like, right? I think contract signings are almost like negligible. It's just a piece of paper that gets burnt anyway. Yeah, right. Whenever whenever they want. We have a couple more fan questions. I'm gonna try and rapid fire through them. Thank you so much for everyone who sent them in. Please do send more after every single race weekend. Ask any question at all doesn't matter how silly or basic you might think it is uh, we'd love to have it on the show so uh, another question we have is is lance costing aston martin p4 in the constructors championship yes yes yes, yes. okay <laughs> easy easy answer <laughs> next um but yeah 100 percent. and i think he should lose his seat um question two or three actually are we seeing a resurgence of the rosberg and hamilton fiasco at mercedes with russell and hamilton are we seeing a repeat of that no no no, no i don't no. think so yeah i, th- I think we talk- spoke about that a little yeah. bit earlier on uh today but i think one thing to add as well that makes the rosberg hamilton thing so much more complex is they've been teammates and therefore competitors since they were what like 12 they yeah. live together they race together they travel together so i think there was like extra beef in there that makes one person being in front of the other just that little bit more painful i yeah. still think russell doesn't have the creds that rosberg had so if he does finish in front of hamilton i don't think hamilton is as cut up about it mm-hmm. question four from a driver's perspective what are your thoughts on the extreme racing conditions drivers had to go through during the qatar gp okay we already spoke about this but any points you want to talk about to, to round that off I'd be curious to see what's FIA's outcome out of it. Yeah, I agreed. think FIA's already announced it. So whether that GPDA, as we mentioned, will will have more control on the drivers' well-being. You know, there's, there's always, in other sports like football and rugby, there's always the association that, that looks after players. So um, there needs to be a, a, a council of professionals that, that look after the drivers as well. Yeah, and, and Nathan, who did write this question in, also did say we did see a bunch of unsafe racing behavior, which is true because of the heat, the hot conditions. Drivers lifting their visors to ventilate, get some air in. I think Sonoda did that and he said he just got a face full of sand. Russell taking his hands off the wheel while on the main straight of the race. So again, these, these dangerous acts of behavior that they're just trying to do to cool themselves down. Uh, thankfully, didn't result in an accident okay last question i know checo has a contract until the end of 2024 but what's really going to happen if he actually loses p2 in the championship since their performance closes within his contract p.s i know he's under pressure and that's definitely affected the way he drives but it's a little surprising to see him drop off the mark so far in recent races right 
Yeah, I think I <laughs> short answer. I mean, my guy's gonna get the boot. Yeah, I don't, You're right. I mean, I I totally support you there, Dan. <laughs> I, I I don't think I can bash Perez anymore. Min, do you want to come in and, and salvage and save Perez's <laughs> reputation in this question? I think week in and week out, it's it's becoming more and more difficult to defend him. As much as I love him as a driver, um, I don't want to talk about it. Okay, well, <laughs> let's move on to our win it or bin it. I think as is tradition, let's all say it at the same time. Do you guys have your Win it. Ready? Yes. Yes. All right. Three, two, one. PS3. Yeah. There we go. Two races in a (laughs) row. Unanimous decision. Awesome. Okay. I think his results speak for themselves. Yeah. Good guy. Yep. Clear cut. Win it. I think this could cause some fractures. You think so? No, I think we're all going to say the same thing. Okay. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one. Lawson. What? Lawson? Yeah. He binned it in the first corner. Spun off by himself. That was Sergeant, no? No, it was it was Lawson. It was Lawson. Fair enough. Yeah. Why why is that worse than Stroll? Yeah. He's built up this uphill trajectory that everyone speaks highly of, but he's still making mistakes. Some mistakes in races. So um I think he binned it in Qatar. Completely off the pace from Yuki, errors from the start and uh, never really recovered. All I can say is at least he didn't throw his steering wheel or shove his personal <laughs> trainer. Yeah. And I will leave it at that. All right, looking forward to the next race, which will be in a short two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. It's not this weekend. Uh, We will be at the Circuit of the Americas in USA, Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Um, Another Herman Tilka track uh, that we can go into more detail when we get to that episode. I was going to say next week, in two weeks' time. Uh, It'll be from the 21st to the 23rd of October. Don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms. Use that as a medium to please send in all of your questions. We really, really appreciate all of you uh, that have been participating uh, and giving your feedback. It does mean the world to us. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Shock App, or on Spotify. And also don't forget to leave us a review if you want. Five stars if you want. Anyway, that's all from us in the studio. My name is Daniel Woodruff. Jasmine Jafar. Yasmin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm she's, never coming she, back. She's <laughs> anxiety through the roof over the last hour. Thank, Thank you, you so much to Thank our amazing guest, Yasmin. And uh, we'll see you very, very soon. Drive safe, everybody. I didn't like that ending. You want to do it again? Do it again. You just do it. No, uh, no, no. You're drive safe. <coughs> okay. Usually it's punchier. Okay. What, what do you say? See you next week and drive, drive safe. safe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Giggling every time, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, I need it right then. Someone, someone send her a WhatsApp. Her tone is going to be drive safe. <laughs> See you next week and drive safe. All right, that's all from us in the studio. Thank you so much. See you in two weeks and drive safe. <laughs>